Hey there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land. And welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. So I know that we're a very regular on our every other Tuesday schedule around here. I hate to break up your consistency, but this is a very, very special bonus episode. So first of all, today is the launch of our new venture, Merchandise from the Jungle Cruise. Uh, C-R-E-W-S still. We've got t-shirts designed by skippers for everyone. Now they're going to help support the skippers, artists, and designers, as well as helping support the podcast. We've got nine designs to start with, so head over to facebook.com slash jungle C-R-E-W-S for the links, Jungle Cruise, or you can go over to our uh, shirt provider gallery, G-A-L-L-O-R-E-E dot com. In the search box, just type cruise, C-R-E-W-S, It'll bring up all of our shirts. Uh, We'll be introducing new designs on a regular basis. The shirts are great quality. And we are always looking for new art from skippers who want to participate in this artistic communal venture. Now, on to the reason for the new episode. So I was alerted about a gentleman who I had to have on the show. And this episode could only happen today. His name is Trevor Allen and, shock, he's not even a skipper. So why would I have him on the show? What's happening? Is Kyle going crazy? Well, don't worry. Trevor has the heart of a skipper, but he worked in the character department. And his one-man show, Working for the Mouse, is making its Los Angeles stage debut tonight, June 10th, 2015. It's going to run through June 19th up in Los Angeles. I've seen a bit of the show. I think it's amazing, and I really think it's a must-see for all of our listening audience. He has the perfect blend of tone, great stories, and humor that's very compatible with the kind of things that we've been talking about here on The Jungle Cruise. So go ahead and go over to his website, workingforthemouse.com. There's showtimes, ticket information, and location there. It's a 10-day run, and for our Northern California friends, there are also shows coming up in San Jose and San Francisco. So here's our chat with non-skipper Trevor Allen, as he is Working for the Mouse, Season 4, Episode 18 of Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Kungaloosh, my friends! Because usually people I talk to, I've you know had a chance to uh, get a little running start, and you know we've talked on the phone or all that, and you know background on the podcast. Right. Um, this is coming together very fast, which is very good for both parties involved because I can always use more content. Uh, so rather than doing that, I will just actually say to everyone: this, this is of course tales from the Jungle Cruise. Um, today we are going to break with tradition, which it's always a good thing. Uh, we've only up to this point had actual Jungle Cruise skippers. Uh, on the show. Today we're going to sit down with non-skipper Trevor Allen. So you're non-skip. 
Uh, Trevor, <laughs> um, you, you were in the character department. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why we're sitting down is because you, we're sitting in a, a beautiful, spacious theater here on Santa Monica Boulevard and near Vine up in uh, Los Angeles. And this show is going to go up this afternoon. So you have a show tonight? Show tonight, Opening yeah. Opening shows tonight. Uh, so this is the 10th through the 19th. Yeah. And it's at the Asylum uh, Playhouse, which is uh, Santa Monica and... Is that Vine? Yeah. Roughly. Roughly. Uh, and we'll give the... the um, the website for uh, for all that good stuff, but we wanted to get this show up quickly because uh, I've seen some of your interviews, uh, your YouTube interviews. Uh, I was um, sent the links to your show from a very close friend of mine, Noah, uh, who is uh, used to live with near him, and he's a great guy. And I, I looked at it and I went, you know what? Even though it isn't Jungle Cruise culture. It's the same spirit. <laughs> okay. So what I'm saying is that, you know, we're, we're, we're the Ramones. <laughs> You're the Sex Pistols. All right. Yeah. So okay. even though not, not the same, <laughs> we have the same spirit. Uh, it's, a, it's a punk attitude. Is what you're it saying. is a punk attitude. Okay. And the fact that we're both on, on, the, on the lamb from the D- Disney legal departments brings us together in a way that. So no. So when were you, when were you at the resort? Or I guess it was the park back then. It wasn't a resort until recently. Yeah. Yeah. So going set the way back. Machine. I was there from 88 to 91. So it was during the Eisner days. Um, So this is, yeah, it's a bit of a period piece now. Um, And I was in Department 384, Mm -hmm. a cast member. Uh, I was casual seasonal, and I was a pageant helper. For Mm -hmm. those of you who speak Disney ease, you know that that's the character department. Uh, I was in Zoo Crew for uh, four years, but I was was going to UCLA uh, at the theater department. So it started out as a, uh, as a summer job, um, and I never went full-time because I had full-time classes and was doing shows and stuff. But I, I was many different characters over that time, as you can imagine. And now, su- summers, did you go full-time during the, the yeah. peak, peak seasons and yeah. all that stuff? So. Yeah, it was very much peak. And, and uh, of course, holidays. Yeah. When, you're, when you're fully available, you don't really realize what fully oh. available means until... They yeah, come calling. It, it has become even more now where they won't schedule around your school schedules. or I mean, it, It's pushing students out. I mean, yeah. just, um, so that would have been, um, I'm trying to remember uh, the, uh, the parades that were, because it was, was it the big, the big farm one that was the big, what was yeah, the, there, what was there the was big a, there, was, there was a state fair, state fair, that state was fair in 88. And it was weird because um, now, as you know, and I'm not familiar with what's going on right now in the park, but at the time, uh, parades uh, was completely separate. Yeah, it is totally different uh, department for with the, the, the characters, with the exception of they would bring in us atmosphere characters to pad out some of the parades during mm-hmm. the daytime parades, not not electrical parade, but daytime parades. So I found myself in uh, a white rabbit costume or Pluto, and they would literally say, "Okay, now just." Here's a balloon. They tie something to you. All right, now you're going to walk and wave along the parade route. Or you're going to be in a bunny suit, uh, and you're going to be on this parade float. Mm-hmm. Don't fall off. Yes. Uh, yeah. And now the other folks were, of course, union in the parades. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe they were AGVA at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they are now. They may be AFTRA and SAG, but, um, or even Equity. But the, uh, the characters in the, my zoo crew department were, were not union. Yes. And so it was very interesting being literally in the same costume, mm-hmm. in the same parade. Some people are getting union scale, mm-hmm. and the rest of us are getting minimum wage at the time yeah, was hourly. four twenty-five an hour. <laughs> I um, I have a friend who uh, has since become one of my best friends, and who uh, 
she was the best man in my wedding, she was doing that was that was her first parade. Okay. And she was in high school or just into college. I want to say she was still like a senior in high school or maybe had just graduated. And uh, State Fair was her first parade that she did. And wow. then, uh, she did a number of others and went, spent years, interventions and all kinds of stuff. We're closed now, gone. Interventions yeah. is, uh, as of the 31st of March, has closed the building down. Wow. So, yeah, so what, uh, what was your impetus for coming? I mean, what was the, the reason why Disney was your choice versus, you know, uh, working at the Hollywood Bowl or, uh, you know, getting a job as a, as a you know, work at the Pantages or something? What was, the, what was the, the appeal of Disney and having to do that drive from UCLA? Well, the thing is, I grew up in Northern California, uh, in San Jose, and we made uh, literally a yearly pilgrimage down to Disneyland. Um, never went to Disney World, but West Coast, a very, very Disney. I was a Disney kid. Um, I fell in love with Disney, uh, was very much covered in pixie dust, wanted to work there. Um, uh, my grandmother took me to see a production of Peter Pan at the Music Circus way up in Sacramento with Sandy Duncan. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw that production, <laughs> although I think she was doing that you know, well into her you know, 70s or 80s. Yeah, God, I, but, God oh. bless her. She kept going. Yeah. Um, but... And then we went backstage, and then I, I realized, oh, you know, this, this woman comes out, and she's older than my mother, and she says, I'm Peter. And I was just like, okay, sure you are. <laughs> Even as a kid, I was like, that's kind of weird. I didn't understand about cross-dressing. Uh, but then I went to Disney. And, and, then, and then you understood about cross-dressing. Yeah, I did, yes. Oh, you learned very quickly. Um, yeah, my wife jokes about it all the time. She's like, um, you were, that was a very interesting time in your life. Yes, it was. Uh, I wanted to be Peter Pan. Uh, I, I met the Peter Pan that was in the park as a kid, and it wasn't the tights, it wasn't anything else. It was just the idea that here's a guy who gets to pretend to be a boy who never grows up, and he gets to play all day at Disneyland, mm-hmm. and that's his job. I, I literally went, okay, that's my career goal. That's yeah. what I want to do. Um, and truth be told, I wanted to be Robin Hood at the time, but then I realized once I got hired that, well, there's height ranges. You can't be Robin. You yeah. can't be... That your your heroes from from your childhood. So when I started, um, I had, cutting back to before I came down, uh, I was at Great America, mm-hmm. which is a theme park up in uh, Northern California in yeah. Santa Clara. Was it, now was it was it Marriott's? Great it was America? Marriott's when I first got yeah. hired there in their character department, and they went from Looney Tunes mm-hmm. uh, cartoons to Hanna Barbera. Mm-hmm. Like Kings Entertainment bought them out at one point. I think there's Six Flags now or Paramount. Yeah. It, it's been yeah, through that, a lot that, of. That one has jumped around. The reason yeah. why I ask is because it's you bring back. I'm going to probably slice this part out, but yeah. uh, interesting story. I'll, I'll let you do your thing for. I'll make, I'll make sure we come back to my yeah. story of the demon. Oh the, oh, the demon. Yeah. yeah, I got a good story about the <laughs> okay. demon. Um, so the, the long story short, too late, is that I was essentially in what I didn't realize at the time, the minor leagues mm-hmm. in a theme park. And when I came down to audition, I auditioned for the parades departments at Disneyland. Didn't get in, but uh, I made them laugh enough that they said, come back and audition for Atmosphere Characters. I said, okay, all right, sure. So I did, um, and it was a two-day marathon of improvisations, movement routines. Fortunately, I did theater in high school. You know, I was a drama geek, drama club president, the whole thing. Um, But I knew how to dance, or at least move well and fake it, and I could could learn a combination. Um, And then I got the second day... Um, I came in, but I'd, I'd had a really bad food poisoning the night before. I ate at a, a burger joint that I won't talk about near the park. 
uh, and was just horribly sick. And I came in the next day. I just I looked green, and they're just like, "Are you okay?" And I said, "No." And so we got in costume, um, and I thought, "Oh, I didn't get it." And I went back up to Northern California, really depressed. And literally, I, I got back to my parents' house in San Jose, and I came in. I wasn't even home half an hour, and the phone rang, hmm. and they said, "You're in." I hadn't really thought that I was going to get in, and suddenly, like, oh. I have to move to Southern California. So I moved down and I stayed at the Hay Penny Inn, mm-hmm. or Hat Penny Inn, however you want to pronounce it, on Harbor Boulevard. Um, and I just started working. And, you know, casual seasonal, I was calling in for shifts. I was doing hotel breakfast Pluto costumes mm-hmm. until I finally got in and the scheduler took pity on me and gave me some hours so I could yeah. pay my rent. Um, but then I did all the costumes, fur costumes in my height range for that mm-hmm. first, my rookie year. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting because uh, I was going to say, now, the, the split, obviously, between parade and, and atmospheric, but is, is face atmospheric different than... Because I guess these are questions that I don't know, and I was there for eight years. Sure, and I, I have lots of questions about the, the you know, jungle yeah, crews the and then the skippers and all that. Yeah. But as far as uh, the face characters, when I was there, um, I got approved to do the Mad Hatter. Uh, I mean, my, my play, Working for the Mouse, is really all about my, my quest to become Peter Pan in more ways than one, uh, to never grow up. But I, no, I don't want to ru- ruin it for anyone, but I did uh, play the Mad Hatter. So I, I got face character approval, uh, and I, was a, uh, I got voice clearance, which was mm-hmm. fun. Um, that process was very interesting because I had to do an Ed Wynn mm-hmm. impersonation, of course. Well, that's what they, they yeah, they, they, they stick that concept in there so yeah. heavily. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Would you like some tea? So that, you know, essentially eight hours a day. Yeah. I'm lucky I don't have vocal nodes because it's interesting. You can do it this close to the microphone. Um, kind of project it. Doing it out in yeah. the park to be heard over, you know, and people, you know, calling out to Alice across the, you know, Main Street USA. Um, yeah, so they kind of fudge it a bit. But that was my first uh, time to actually have prosthetics. Mm-hmm. They give you a latex nose. You have to spirit yep. gum on every morning. Uh, the wig and the fake teeth yep. and the whole thing. Um, and it was fun. I, I, a lot of the show is recalling how much fun it was. Now, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, management, well, management in 88 to 91 was what management was then. And <laughs> in the character department, it was no exception. There was some very interesting um, times there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the theme park... I mean, literally, there were, there were strange things happening. You'd come in, and they had pulled costumes. And it'd be like, well, why aren't the Tweedles out in the Alice unit? Oh, well, guests had complained that they look like mongoloid children. Yes, that's, that's a story I have heard. That's true. Yeah, repeatedly. That phrase, I mean, it was the late 80s. So like, you know, people didn't know better. There was no PC police to say, you know, you really shouldn't say that. That's horrible. Yeah. But... They would pull things like that, and suddenly an entire costume that you did and relied mm-hmm. on for scheduling was just gone. Well, so. uh, what's the one? The Horace Horse Collar one <laughs> was had gone for a long time because it was, you know, maybe a little racist or maybe a little, you know, 
objectively bad about people in the South, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. Well, let's, but, let's, but there, there's a yeah. lot of those. I mean, there's a lot of those well, let's, costumes let's, that are think, really think like about a Song lot. of the South. Think, think about the Song of the South characters. Yep. Brer Bear, Brer Fox, and Brer Rabbit. Which, which those characters exist as costumes. Yes. But the movie has been retconned by Disney, which bizarre that yeah. such huge elements. Splash Mountain. Huge part of the park. Yeah, opened in eighty seven, eighty six. No, no, it was it was after I got there, so it was eighty eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah, I was on the Flume rides testing out the nights. It was right after they realized that when they put the sandbags down, it would jump the track and go right into the rivers of America. Yep. And then they said they fixed it, but then they wanted to work it out with cast members. So I stupidly signed up, and we did it, and you know nobody got hurt, but. Um, we thought, oh, well, they must be uh, releasing Song of the South again. It's going to come out on you know, VHS or DVD or something. They're going to put it out in the theaters. They're going to uh, redo it because mm-hmm. the animated part of it, the, the animation's wonderful. Uh, and I love the stories, but uh, come on now. Yeah, culturally, it's... Let's, it's do, an od- let's just say it's an oddity at this point. It's, you know, oh, it's, it's horrible. Yes, it's... it's, it's let, Tar Baby? I mean, it's, it's just yeah. bad. There's no way around it. But it was fun being in those costumes. I was in Br'er Fox. They, they changed the height range at one point. Um, but just being out there, people didn't know who, that, who they were. And then yeah. suddenly the ride opens up and everybody sings zippity-doo-dah. Uh, but then they're like, well, where's that movie? Well, come on. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an apologetic for essentially slavery in, in the Deep South. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's one of those shameful Disney moments where you just go, what were they thinking? Now, this is, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you may have to cut this because you said that off air. Well, yeah, that yeah. was, yeah. All right. I'll trim that in a little bit. So, um, I, now, my show, to, to be clear, uh, it's not all Disney bashing mm-hmm. because I did have pixie dust yeah, in my eyes. No more than my podcast is. Yeah. I, I try to give a more neutral you know, I, I let people have their say, but I definitely don't feel like we're Disney bashing at all. And there are several YouTube clips of the show. Uh, so if you if you search for Working for the Mouse or go to workingforthemouse.com, dot com, um, you, you can see some segments of the show, and you can decide for yourself. Um, yeah, there's some adult language, mm-hmm. but part of it was when I was a young, I was a teenager when I got hired at the park. When I went backstage, I loved Disney. Mm-hmm. And then I was essentially working side by side with people who were right out of the carny, mm-hmm. um, who you know, little people, um, some some of my best friends there, um, but they would swear like sailors, mm-hmm. even though obviously even at the time you just did not swear backstage, but they did. Yeah, um, they smoked and drank heavily, and there was an interesting dichotomy between the presented squeaky clean image of what Disney was and what I thought I was getting into. Mm-hmm. And life backstage. Sure. It was like running away and joining the circus. Mm-hmm. Now, I present that in its unvarnished glory in my show. And because it's a solo show, I'm then often playing characters that are or are behaving in offensive ways, mm-hmm. uh, swearing, um, saying off-color things. And then I am portraying I, myself by, as by an eighteen-year-old kid. You're actually doing a great job in promoting this show to my audience. <laughs> yeah, that, you, you're not, there's nothing negative that you're selling it perfectly to people who are uh, who are listening. I, I, in my time, I, I knew several of the skippers, so let's let's just say that yes, sure. that was um, we, there was a commonality yeah. with the character department. Well, and, and you know, you you talk about that. Um, 
you know, that moment where you go from being uh, a doe-eyed, uh, you know, Disney fan to, to going through the, you know, the, the uh, orientation and the training. Yeah. My, uh, my time, my first day that I was, that I was there, uh, we were, I was working at California Adventure when it opened and okay, we were yeah. doing training. So we're sitting at the in-between. Oh, the in-between. And Is that still there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, run by a third party. Now, it's not, not run by Disney Incorporated. And they have a subway backstage which is bizarre wow um but i so i'm sitting back there you know i'm getting to know some people and uh you know off stage walks alice and she reaches down and lifts up her skirt and from one garter she grabs a pack of cigarettes and from the other garter she grabs a zippo and just lights up right there backstage um, it was it was one of the most magical things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it may have inspired fetishes, sexual fetishes for me, as as most Disney does for people. Um, I, to this day, I will still say that Gadget from Chippendales Rescue Rangers, who cannot, you know, have an adoration for that character. Oh man, um, <laughs> years of therapy. Wow. Yeah, it, uh, when I was there, I think it was 1991, the, the Disney Afternoon uh, cartoons had hit. So yeah. there were DuckTale characters, uh, Rescue Rangers, Tailspin, um, which meant that we got to do some, some strange costumes that, yeah. for the most part, weren't, weren't in the park, like, like King Louie. Yeah. But some of those characters... Um, there was a Monterey Jack costume. <laughs> it pops up every once in a while in Phantasmic. They break it out, and I'm sure. looking, I'll be looking at the boat, and it's like... Why is Monterey Jack on the top of the the for no reason? No reason. Well, a lot of the costumes, uh, the old uh, stick arms, where you couldn't sign autographs. Well, mm-hmm. I think management figured out that they couldn't sell autograph books if a lot of the characters couldn't sign their autographs. Mm-hmm. Plus, there was a sense of they wanted some verisimilitude. They wanted the costumes to look like the the animated cartoons. Sure. So when the three little pigs got shrunk down, and uh, the dwarves got shrunk down. Um, it seems, seems redundant. Yes, I know. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Sort of double down. No, they, uh, they used to have, of course, those horrible stick arms. Well, um, one of the few characters that still couldn't sign was, uh, was King Louie. And that was fun. I did that for a little while. But uh, that's, he's actually not in the show. I was there, like I said, for four years. So a lot of the stuff that's in the show is, um, well, it's, it's a full arc. It's, it's a play. I just happen to play many, many different characters. Yeah. See, and I, and I want to, I mean, I... I want to continue the story, but I also want to ask the question, which is, um, when did when did the play germinate? When sure, what was that? What was that progression? Well, I want to hear more stories, and we'll, we'll you know yeah. go back and forth. But I'm curious about what was the progression of of how the play came to be. Well, it's very simple. Um, the management did a little house cleaning uh, at one point. Now, now, this is way after the strike, which I think was in '84. Mm-hmm. But there were some rumblings. Uh, in the character department that they wanted to go union. Um, and anybody that had even a whiff of that got the boot. Mm-hmm. And because it's an at-will state, uh, you know, the, and the point system, I don't know if there's still a point system. Oh, but yes. The point system was, was really draconian, uh, and it was ridiculous. Well, it was first, engi- it was first applied in, in normal format by the Third Reich. <laughs> Uh, that was actually Gehring was actually wow. came up with the concept of using points to control the population. I was wondering when we would get to the Nazis. It, usually, it comes in. It's it's the, what's that test where you know it gets devolves right to the point yes. where you go, oh, fascism with a friendly face. Now, I would never say that they no, were no, good no, at no. crowd control. <laughs> Disney, I mean. Um, but there's that element that it, oh, you know. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Um, 
It came about because I got the boot, and I graduated from UCLA in 92, and decided to settle in California as lovely as it is down here. Um, I wanted to go back, see family, and ended up moving to San Francisco. Um, and a friend of mine said, you know, uh, oh, yeah, you, you want to go to San Francisco. You, you, you want to be a mime? I said, well, you know, they do this thing called solo performance there. He said, yeah, I know. They said, no, no, that's not what you think. Solo performance, it's uh, an acting style where you basically write and, and perform your own work. Solo Mio was happening. Uh, Life on the Water was happening. There's a huge uh, influx of stand-up comics that were telling their own stories, and they called it theater. Uh, I then went and got an MFA degree in, in playwriting, mm-hmm. and I wanted to sort of break all the rules. And I went and took a, a workshop with a wonderful actor and uh, writer, Charlie Varon, up in San Francisco. And he said, um, well, you know, what stories do you want to tell? And I would say, well, you know, I'm, I'm working at the zoo right now, and I worked at the opera. And I, uh, he said, no, nah, 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 okay. And I said, well, I was a character at Disneyland. He said, what did you say? I said, I was a character at Disneyland. He's like, that's it! And I went, yeah, but aren't they going to kill me? Aren't they going to squish me? Aren't they? He's like, well, you know, fuck them if they can't take a joke. And I went, well, there's an attitude I haven't heard. All right, let's try it. So I did the Fringe Festival. Now, this is all the way back in 96. Mm-hmm. It was a piece called Character! Exclamation point. Character! Um, and it's about 45 minutes. A lot of the material I do in the show now was in that. That was the first seed of it. And it got best of the, the San Francisco Fringe Festival that year. Um, and there was no cease and desist. I did some radio. Uh, I did some TV. And I thought, oh, well, this is interesting. Well, flash forward to about 2002, uh, another director I worked with, Kent Nicholson, uh, he's since gone on to New York. Um, he and I had worked on a, bu- a bunch of pieces that I'd written for other people. And he said, well what about this material? I said, well, yeah, let's, let's explore that. And so I added in a whole bunch of other stuff with the Alice unit um, and some other sort of subplots. Um, it was about 70, 80 minutes, and it seemed to be right. I took it to a small theater right across the campus at UC Berkeley. Uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's still there. It's a theater called Impact Theater. And so Working for the Mouse got the world premiere at Impact Theater in the basement of a pizza parlor, uh-huh. Laval's. Um, it's a wonderful theater. And, you know, it's one of those things where the rats, the cockroaches, and the artists can thrive because it was literally under the radar. And we then got some really good press. And sort of flash forward again, I brought it back in 2011 and got a wonderful Clapping Man review from the Chronicle. And suddenly we were selling out, and people were like, oh, aren't you worried? I said, you know, no, because I'm talking about my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not infringing upon Disney. And even my costume that I wear in the show is a replica of the Zoo Crew t-shirt. It's not Disney property. Um, and there's satire, there's parody, and fair use. Mm-hmm. And essentially, the stories are all things that happened to me or people I knew. All the names have been changed. And some of the characters uh, are amalgams of people. Uh, so if I'm talking about Alice, I'm talking about many of the different women that were Alice. Sure. Um, 
not in a fetishistic way. Well, but, but but there's that sense of like a lot of the princesses would kind of go between the different costumes. But one of the characters I talk about uh, that I was very much smitten with and in love with when I was a you know a spotty teenager, and she was this beautiful princess, um, is based on many of the different women I either dated or knew sure. when I was in the. In the oh, I, I dated a Snow White for a while, so I fully understand. So, um, is, that, is that humble brag? No, what? It's just a brag. Uh, but no, I think it's the same thing with, with what I do on the podcast, where it's um, it's not an attempt to profit off of what they're doing. It's yeah. an attempt to to tell a story that is only tangentially related, because you're not spoiling trade secrets. You're not. No. You, what you're doing is you're you're entertaining based on. So I, I get yeah. it. It's the same thing I do with the podcast. Um, you know, I. I same, you know, intellectual concept, I right. guess is the way to say it. But plus, in, in my case, it's, it's theater. Yeah. You know, it's art with a capital A. Uh, it may be a small A on the night, but uh, people really respond to those stories. And it's been interesting. If people hate Disney, they love the bits where it's people at Disney not behaving Disney-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if people love Disney, they love the sort of peeking behind the curtain and seeing how the mag- magician does his magic. So it's been interesting yeah. to, to get that mix in the house on a night when you've got an equal amount of people who hate it and love it, mm-hmm. and they're like, there's that moment of, they come to that realization that what I'm talking about is imagination, mm-hmm. is magic. And Disney doesn't have a lock hold on that. Right. There's this sense, again, I won't give anything away, but if you come see the show, there's a, there's a central metaphor of an imaginary baseball. Now, this is true. I did get busted one time uh, for playing a game of imaginary baseball in the middle of the parade as the Mad Hatter. Well, one of the parade floats, a big birthday cake, broke down. And uh, the parade captains told us literally to just go up and down the sidewalk and wave at people. So we were doing that. um, And I just got bored. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want to play. And uh, so we literally had a a game of imaginary baseball. And, of course, I got busted. I got a written reprimand. But one of the kids was a -A Make-A-Wish Foundation kid. Mm -hmm. I mean... I still get choked up because there's that that was what I loved about working for Disney is like working with you know the terminal kids right. just making their day. So on the same day that I got busted for you know playing imaginary baseball with the kids, I also got a guest commendation. Mm-hmm. So that's in the show. Yeah. And it comes back again as a central metaphor of saying, you know, it's not their ball. It was something that we created ourselves in that imagination and that uh, creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't copyright well, and that's, that. And that's that's what a lot of the the jungle stories are too. Is that we you hopefully get a chance to hear more. But it's a lot of you know, you're you're always walking in that fine line between playing with their toys and playing games that you want to play with their toys. Yes, because they have a very beautiful you know games closet with all these fantastic things <laughs> but if you only play by their rules then you're never putting any money on free parking when you uh, when you have to pay it in <laughs> and we all know that's a house rule but it's a good house rule yeah um but that you know it's the other side of of my interest in your story is because your time at the park and your view of that was pre um, the curtain being pulled back because really until mid '90s when Dave Koenig wrote the you know, Mouse Tales books was I think I think that was the first big reveal of what I call backstage magic. Yeah, um, which may be trademarked. I don't know. Um, but at the time in that late '80s side of it, there wasn't 
internet. There wasn't any written accounts of this. There was no videotape of what was going on behind the scenes. That that curtain was still a very hard metal curtain that you couldn't peek behind. Yeah. So when your time there, it was a very different kind of experience from someone who would go in in 2005 or in 2015 yeah. when you have every cast member with a cell phone. Yeah. Or you have the internet where you can search any detail of any backstage thing. Yeah. I actually think that had those things not developed and we were trying to do what we do now, they would be more prone to jumping on us because that curtain hadn't been brought down yet. Well, again, not, not to disrespect the Disney magic. Oh, no, no, this is all good. But there's, there's an element of that that, it, that is very true. It was a different planet. It was before the interwebs. Mm-hmm. And um, you go and just search for anything now, there, everybody has video cameras in yep. their pockets, all these phones. At the time, you would see them as a character. You would see the video cameras coming, those horrible, huge yeah, handheld shoulder mountings, shoulder mountings like, a, like a rocket launcher. And you would know to be on your best behavior, especially when the little red light went on. Yep. Um, and the backstage stuff, you know, it's funny. I, I don't have much of a record of that time because they were very hard-ass yeah, about that. Take, you can't bring cameras backstage. I no, mean, it, it, was I, very, it was very prohibitive because they, yeah. they were still trying to preserve that. Yeah, and I understand that. I don't disrespect that. And it isn't just the corporate side of things that I have a problem with, but there was an attitude of, like, you know, don't, don't destroy the magic. And I said, I'm not destroying the magic. I'm talking about my life. Now, you can't have an NDA on your experiences as a human being. No, no. And there's an element of that that I think I think people get now. It's it's kind of like I don't know if it was a 9/11 thing, but like a lot of people lost their innocence at the beginning of this century that they have this attitude towards, you know, we're all going to be talking about everything. Everything's on the table. Whereas back in the late 80s, um there was almost it was the Reagan era. Uh there was an almost a repressive uh, 50s McCarthy era thing at the park going mm-hmm. on. There are a lot of ex-military people in yep. management. A lot, of, a lot of discussion about the Flat Top Brigade. You know, and it's interesting because at that time, you think, well, that was only, you know, the park was only some 30 years old. Well, now in 2015 when we're recording this, it's quite literally a different planet. Yep. Um, and it's interesting that, that this play uh, still resonates to people who are our age, mm-hmm. who either you know kind of remember that time, or even their parents. I've had grandparents of cast members come up to me after a show mm-hmm. and say, "I remember the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse." Yeah, you know that sense of like, I remember the old mine yeah. car ride. Well, and the things that I've seen, the clips that I've seen on YouTube. Yeah, actually, what it evoked for me was the old black and white Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> There's a lot of yeah. that energy and yeah. a lot of that tone in sure. some of your portrayals. Yeah. Um, and I'm pleased to take that in a, in a very positive way. But, I mean, that, that kind of characterization was what you saw yeah. in the old black and white side of the, the Disney. So I, I think it's great that that's captured both in the side of someone who, who still sees some of the magic and yet gets to tell the story. And, and that was uh, a very conscious uh, effort on the part of uh, my original directors. And in this current production, uh, my director, Nancy Carlin, who unfortunately can't be here right now, uh, she's been amazing in really making me focus on telling the story every night to a new audience. Yep. Uh, little details, focusing on reactions and being able to really live in, the, in that moment so it never becomes stale sure. and rote. Uh, and it's that 
improvisational thing mm-hmm. that I didn't realize I had such a, a grounding and a training at it as a face character in the park, yep. but that's what you're doing is improv yeah. every day. Back and forth. And that's one of the, the gripes, uh, is kind of just sharing my side. One of the things that I've always been frustrated with as Jungle Cruise people yeah. is that we are... Uh, we're, we're actors. I mean, when you're in that performance role, yeah. you're not on the same scale as someone who's pushing the buttons to make Dumbo go around. Right. And yet we're being treated and paid the same way and given training as if we were pushing buttons rather than the deeper you know, training of how to improv, how to go back and forth with people. Um, and there were, there were jabs at it, but it's never really been uh, addressed. So I, I have a huge respect for particularly face characters. Um, when you get a good Bert... <laughs> and, and Mary going around in the park. Yeah. Uh, and there's been a couple lately that have been amazing. When you get a good Mad Hatter, you know, there's, uh, there's just so few of those face characters that are so, you know, striking and good. You know, when you get a good, um, there's been a Maleficent who's been around who just does an amazing job. One of my characters, did you, you go to the park every once in a while? I honestly have not been back in years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, partly it's just a distance thing. Sure. Uh, I'm in Northern California, you know, basically in San well, Francisco. And, and if you're touring the show, I mean, that's... Well, yeah. There, well, there's that. Um, as much as I would love to tour the show down to, to Orange County, mm-hmm. um, you know, perhaps someday. Um, I have a good theater contact for you. I'll put you in touch with. Well, we'll talk offline. Yeah. This is the first time, I mean, seriously, this is the first time I've ever felt... Um, brave is the wrong word. Uh, foolhardy enough to come down to Los Angeles and do the show. Um, I used to do a lot of small theater when I was at UCLA, mm-hmm. uh, right up and down the, the, the theater row here. Yeah. Um, but I never really thought I would bring the show down here. Uh, so it's, you know, we have opening night tonight. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe Disney will squash us and we'll get a nah, cease and desist and they'll nah. close the show. I, I, I heavily doubt it. Well, from your lips to <clears throat> John Lasseter's ears. The thing uh, John, is... And he was a skipper, so he understands. Well, see, now that's the other thing. I have to say... The, the, the Disney Corporation that I was making fun of in management is a relic of a bygone past. Yeah. Uh, they've become, I would say, progressive in, in the, the, the animated features. The fact that they're Pixar, mm-hmm. the fact that they're Lucas now. I mean, they're doing Star Wars, they're doing Marvel, they're doing the Muppets. Yeah. Disney owns everything. So a lot of people said, you know, this is a huge career-limiting move for you as a voice artist, as an actor. You're never going to get hired in Disney. Well, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's an interesting change in the wind from an outsider's perspective. Um, a lot of my criticisms were very valid mm-hmm. and still are of that perspective, but it's not who they are now. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people, I won't name names. If I did, you would know, uh, that have come from Pixar to the little theater in Berkeley to see the show. Mm-hmm. And some of them talked to me afterwards and, you know, sort of off the record, we're like, oh my God, this is great. You know, actually, we don't have a problem with this no. because it's exactly the, that Disney mentality. And some of them have even criticized it as being sort of out Disneying Disney at the mm-hmm. end. Again, I'm hoping that some of your audience will get a chance to see it, but there's a, there's a moment where, yeah, it doesn't matter who you are, that mm-hmm. it, it kind of takes hold and the audience kind of gets that that tingle. Now, again, that's me saying it, so I can't yeah. be uh, objective. But working with uh, with my director Nancy on the material, it is evergreen, and it's not you know some sad guy trying to be Peter Pan and try to fit into the, the tights. You know, there's a sense that that little kid is still in all of us, sure. and Disney doesn't own that. 
that's the beauty of Mm -hmm. telling these stories is that reacting to an audience in the moment that still has that Mm -hmm. when they take their kids to the park. Right. And I think that that's that, you know, one of the themes that popped up in the podcast lately is the danger of nostalgia. (laughs) Um, Sure. Which, which I think a, we all like to remember that the way that we remember something is the right way it should be. Right. The way that we grew up with Disney is the Disney that should exist, and that's the best Disney. The the first, you know, the time that we're working on the Jungle Cruise or that we're costume characters, that's the best time that it ever was because that's that's our objective thing. You go back now, you realize that first the first time you do it, we call it the first summer. It's always a magical thing because yeah. it's your eyes being opened for the first time and and your you know, perceptions being opened in a way that have never been for you. So that nostalgia is created. The problem with nostalgia is it leads to live-action Cinderella movies. <laughs> and and <laughs> Tim Burton is now going to be directing a live-action Dumbo. I don't know how they're going to get Johnny Depp in the prosthetics for that, but I think it's going to be amazing. Um you know, they uh, they now have bought the rights to Anastasia. Uh, so uh, you know, everyone who thought that Anastasia was a Disney princess uh, that we made fun of for years, live action Anastasia will be coming. Um, you know, it's it's just a, a vicious cycle where you do get into a point where there's an oversaturation of nostalgia. Yeah. Where if you're not creating, which God bless Frozen for what it is, yeah. it's new nostalgia. It, it evokes the old, but it still has, you know, its its roots in. But it's it's, it's progressive in a way oh, that, that, like you mentioned, Dumbo. I mean, it's about time they updated that. I mean, there's yeah. some, you know, there's some questionable things. But that was what forty one yeah. during the war. It's actually kind of amazing that it wasn't more mm-hmm. racist. That it wasn't more. You know, well, and circuses, you know, were a different perception, and we yeah. didn't see elephants as people, right? And which, you know, if you want to go back and say it, maybe the fact that Dumbo exists is the reason why Ringling Brothers, you know, uh, fifty years later, is now taking all their elephants out of the circus, and why Cirque du Soleil, you know, yeah. uh, but because it is, it's a giant tapestry of threads that when you look at each individual thread, may make sense at the time, but you have to pull back and look at the big picture. And, and, of course, and, and living that, through it, we yeah. don't know what we don't see. Yeah. We don't know what we don't know. But that, that's why I like the concept of your show. And I'm really looking forward to actually getting up uh, in this week and, and finding a night to come see it. Cool. Is because from what I've seen, it is a blend of both nostalgia and um, a grounding in a real a real moment that really blends well together. That, that punk sensibility that yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Earlier. It's a little rock and roll, you know, <laughs> but it's, uh, and it's interesting because there's a lot of fun things on the character side. And maybe yeah. we should go back and we should chat to some of your, you know, interesting experiences that you, you had on sure. stage on that doesn't, you know, uh, throw anything uh, off in the show. Cause I really do want to make sure people get up here and see this. Yeah. Um, but you know, what was, what was your first day like when you had gone through training <laughs> And what was your first what was your first costume on stage? Uh, Pluto. Okay. Yeah. Um, and actually, that is in the show. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of the the first act, so to speak. Um, I uh, it's I, mm, as a playwright, I have a lot of other scripts that I don't perform in that are very nonlinear, uh, very experimental. And this is the most Aristotelian five-act mm-hmm. play I've ever written. And the first act, essentially, is, is that first summer, first day experience and going in. And I had a buddy. Uh, and my buddy was uh, literally a cigar-chomping, 
little person who now this may sound stereotypical but there are stereotypes unfortunately for a reason and he swore like a sailor and i literally my jaw just dropped at some of the things that he was telling me about uh what it was like to be a character, yeah. and I, was it, it was a little, a little baby Herman going on there? Yeah. Is that what you know? Everybody says that now, uh, that sort of post, uh, uh, you know, Roger Rabbit. But there was a little bit of that. But no, um, again, these characters that I play in my show are amalgams of people. But a lot of the, the actual dialogue happened because it was a sense of um, uh, some of the best advice was you know never let him get behind you. When you get out there, put your back against the wall. Clear field division so you can see who's coming at you. Now, as a young kid going out there going, I'm part of the Disney magic. I'm going to be Pluto. And him <laughs> saying that, you just kind of go, oh, really? And then and you realize you're going out to war every day. And the thing is, I had seen battles uh, at Great America. Mm-hmm. I was Captain Caveman and Huckleberry Hound. And, well... That's a again minor leagues. You know, no no offense to anybody at those the other theme parks, but Disney is a world class situation where you literally have people from the whole planet. This is very true in the late eighties. Probably less so now that there are theme parks all over the planet now. Um, But at the time, it was uh, it was both the best and the worst of people's behavior. Uh, You guys talked about this before. People would kind of check their brains at the door. Nothing bad can ever happen. And, oh, well, that's Pluto. He's a dog. He's a cartoon character. He can't get hurt. If I stick this needle into his arm, he's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. He's not going to scream or cry like a baby or, you know, bleed all over you. The number of kids who uh, should be tried for assault after their time at at Disney is just ridiculous. And the thing is, you you can't really get angry with them. I mean, all right, the eight-year-old agnostics aside, the you're not real attitude, okay, that's fine. But the ones that really just, they get so excited and they don't know, and they're all sugared up. Of course they're going to just take a swing at Pluto or, or try to get Mickey's attention or, you know, trip a character mm-hmm. just to get a response. Yeah. Or they're behaving in a cartoon way yeah. themselves. Now, at, at that point, did you have Tail Patrol going out with you uh, on stage? I know that, you know, that's now the, the designated standard that, you know, no, I'll, I'll no costume you. goes out without a, a handler. I'll tell you, um, that was sort of the attitude. We, ha- we had leads, um, and we generally had people name tag people that would be out there with us but it was the area system was very different and I, I understand it's gone through many different iterations of, of this but they had just introduced the concept of photo locations and being in photo hell and that was all you did mm-hmm. but when I was in say Mr. Smee in the Peter Pan unit and I talk about this in the show one of the times we got busted for doing something we shouldn't have done now it didn't endanger anybody and it was part of the animation Rationalized, rationalized, rationalized. Mm-hmm. But um, we were pretty much free to do a walkover if, say, we were in... Uh, we used to be bear country. I guess it's critter country now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would go from the egg house break area behind over down the service road to the Tomorrowland entrance and do a walkover. Well, there's all sorts of things you can get into trouble for on the way. And I think management kind of figured that out along the way, and they became very draconian. But at the time, there was an attitude of, of freedom to just inhabit the characters. And that was what a lot of people really enjoyed. However, um, this was before Toontown. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the discussions that my characters in my play have is about 
the coming of Toontown and the idea that there's going to be a long hallway full of doors and there's going to be a Mickey Mouse behind every door and the guest is going to have a wonderful experience, an intimate experience with Mickey, as opposed to 30 kids around a costume character trying to jostle their way and the bullies get through and they're going to get their photo and other kids are going to be end up crying or skin knees. So I understand why they made the decisions they did. And this isn't to say that's good or bad, but it affected the show. It affected the characters and it affected the morale while I was there. Mm-hmm. And there was this attitude that they're taking away our freedom. The reason we were enjoying having this, the sense of being off script, being off leash, mm-hmm. is that, yeah, the leads were there to make sure you didn't get hurt. But they also were kind of squashing things and going, no, that's not good show. You know, what would sure. Walt say? Sure. And there was an attitude, I think, that, well, we wanted to be free and we wanted to have fun. I understand now that really, with such a litigious society, that anything that's videotaped, anything could be sure. a bad, bad situation. But um, I look back at uh, all the freedom we had, and I think, well, it's amazing that people didn't get hurt. Mm-hmm. All the, the crazy stuff that we got up to. Um, now, I listened to the interview you did with the, the mayor of West Hollywood. Yeah, John Duran. Love that interview. Um, him being a lawyer now mm-hmm. and sort of looking back on all the, the crazy shit they used to do, yep. um, just as skippers. Uh, well, imagine not being tied to a boat. Yes. Right? Yeah. You could do a lot more damage that way. And, you know, the thing that strikes me as we're having this discussion is something that, that is really glaringly obvious to anyone who's around Disney culture right now, which is that there is no off-season. Yeah. There is seldom a point when there's less than 50,000 people in the parks, if not 60 or 70. Yeah. It, there are days where it seems like New Year's Eve and Christmas rolled into one. I couldn't imagine them having a character walking across from Frontierland to uh, Main Street <laughs> and yeah. trying to get through that anymore. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, there is such a... Look, when you had a day that you were out there and there was 15,000 people in the park and, you know, you couldn't you, you could swing a dead cat and not hit a kid, yeah. uh, which, by the way, not something I recommend as Disney show. Uh, I don't think that <laughs> that's not a good Mad Hatter behavior. Um, but, you know, it's whereas a dormouse, that's yeah, different. Yeah. That's OK. But it is. It's a very different uh, atmosphere when you have a busy day yeah. where it's packed versus sure. that you can take time as a Mad Hatter or you can take time. And interact with a kid in a way that's going to make a singular and, and lasting difference in the way that they perceive the company. Yeah. Uh, a magical experience. Yeah. And part of that was we were really part of the show. And so much of our job description was what we brought to it as actors, performers. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just, you know, we didn't just fit the suit. Sure. But when management's attitude was we need photo fodder. We need someone who just is this height range that is going to stand in this photo location for you know all these shifts. That was when it really started to bog things down, and yeah. people started to go, eh, really? And yeah, there were days when, okay, it very seldom rains in Southern California, but when it was threatening or it was overcast and there weren't a lot of people in the park, those were the days when we could just go have fun yeah. and we would interact with families, with groups of people, you know, getting them to sing along, doing story sets that mm-hmm. are quite probably, they weren't mediated. They weren't set schedules. They weren't mm-hmm. tea with a character or breakfast with a character. It was, we'd be out there and suddenly we'd have a bunch of Japanese tourists who we would get them singing It's a Small World mm-hmm. in Japanese 
And many of the people who had worked at Tokyo Disney were in the park and they're doing face stuff. So it was this amazing cultural exchange where I think, yeah, if you were just packed shoulder to shoulder with people, I can't imagine doing some of the things we did. Well, and I, I go back to, you know, like I think it was 05 or 06. One of my favorite games that they did as Mad Hatter and Alice was the uh, they played musical chairs yeah, yeah. at Coke Corner. There was a day that it was you know blustery. It was a cold day, and um, there were very very few people in the park. And I sat there, kind of you know crossing across on break, and watched the Mad Hatter and Alice play that with ten chairs and one kid. <laughs> And this Mad Hatter was going crazy and having so much fun with yeah. whenever the music stopped, the kid had to pick a chair and sit down. And he would say, you win, no matter what chair the kid got into. It was, uh, it was beautiful stuff. Uh, it's uh, absurdism. Yeah, yeah, and that's what that character is, is all about. But, <laughs> well, that uh, was the other thing. The, the most sort of un-Disney-like character, the fact that I was the Mad Hatter at one point. Um, now, I learned from one of the best I'll, I'll say his name, Jim Vash. Jim was amazing. Yeah. Um, I got some of my best stuff from him. Now, there have been, of course, a lot of different face characters, a lot of Mad Hatters over the years. It's been interesting seeing, if you just go on the web now, you can see yeah. all this video of all the characters mm-hmm. behaving well or badly or whatever. Um, and it's interesting to see some of the things that they're doing now is... The stuff well, that you were doing and getting yelled at? Yeah. yeah. I, I think you guys out there in, in, in Jungle Land, uh, Adventure Land, sorry. Uh, it's Jungle Land, let's be honest. Yeah. The, that, you know, Indiana Jones is a good you know, younger uh, cousin, <laughs> but let's be honest, it's all about jungle. The, the skippers, you know, I think there was this gleeful you know, uh, sparkle in their eye when they would kind of get to, to play around with the script and go off spiel, right? Mm-hmm. Well, just think about all the stuff, the rote stuff you would have to do as the Mad Hatter. And when we got to play around and go off spiel, um, and it, not going blue or not yeah, doing anything yeah. you know, un-Disney, but uh, just having fun, well, that was all unstructured, and that was wonderful. And the show that, say, Jim would put on as the Mad Hatter, I was envious of. And it wasn't until I really fully inhabited it myself and got to play around with some stuff. Yeah, I had some props, had some other stuff yeah. that was not long. But there was, there was an element of just like, let's just have fun. Was that the character that you did or the thing that you did in your time there that, that brought the most um, uh, personal satisfaction? Absolutely, because I wanted voice clearance. Yeah. I, you know, Before there was even a, the phrase voice actor. I mean, I do... Uh, <laughs> I have representation up in Northern California, in case anyone wants to hear my voice on the, on the radio or whatever. But... Um, I wanted to do a lot of silly voices, mm-hmm. and doing Mad Hatter was fun, but it was also licensed to, to be not un-Disney-like, but crazy, absurd, yeah. uh, joke with the audience. Whereas the princesses, or you know, Bert, or the princes, mm-hmm. um, pretty much had to stick very closely to yeah. their character. Well, being a, a Lewis Carroll Mad Hatter, mm-hmm. and being able to pull from the literature... And uh, when somebody comes up and goes, uh, you know, so why is a raven like a writing desk? Uh, because when you set either of them on fire, they create black smoke. <laughs> I always used to say, <laughs> well, because Poe wrote on both, mm-hmm. you see. Edgar Allan Poe, the, he wrote the rave on a tough crowd. Yeah. Yeah. So those things that existed from, you know, the early, early days of the park were just sort of tradition. Mm-hmm. 
Did, did you see, I mean, you've gone back and you've watched YouTube and things like that. And yeah. You've been to the park at some point since yeah, you left. Yeah, yeah. Um, is the progression of the the characters as far as the costuming mm. there's you know every every year they're making improvements they're mm-hmm. you know the costumes really feel much more professional much you know uh, did do you see that when from a from an inside eye when you look at what they're doing does it does it look uh, like they have a different feel to it than when you were there well listen, I, I, I give the biggest kudos to the imagineers and the and the folks that Disney employs because they really do know talent and they really do hire the best and they have the best show on the planet. I will give the devil his due. It's amazing. They are, from an outsider's perspective, they are improving all the time. You know, the Mickey Mouse heads that can talk. The talk. Jesus, it's scary. It is a little frightening. The the blinking is what bothers me. That makes it so real, but it also is very disconcerting. Yeah, yeah, it's a little... little... When you think about it, well, he shouldn't have to blink, but he does. Yeah, Yeah. so it is amazing. Um, But I noticed that even while I was there, the old heads were just backbreaking, literally. And we we didn't have health insurance. We were, you know, part-time, hourly. Um... And a lot of us got injured because the costumes themselves, if you really think about it, you shouldn't have that much weight on your spine. No, I, and that, that's the reason why my theory was always that Julie Taymor uh, was tied into a chiropractic clinic at some point in New York <laughs> because the Lion King costumes had to just torn some vertebrae up. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is like, okay, you mentioned Julie Taymor and, and theater. I thought it was an amazing transformation from the animated feature to what she was able to accomplish on stage in a live theatrical event. Um, And Disney theatrical didn't really exist when I was there. Mm -hmm. It was kind of, I I wouldn't say it was a joke, but the the shows that were put on in the park, I didn't want to be in the shows Mm -hmm. because it was just, you you would go and point your body in the costume and, okay, you're Pluto in this thing, and you go over here and you hit your mark and you wave. Well, now... They set the mark so high for their Broadway, their musicals, um, that it's interesting. Again, it is a different planet. So when I talk about the aspects of Disney that I don't like, perhaps some of them aren't true anymore. Um, It's not that I feel any differently about my time there, because, again, Mm -hmm. it's not nostalgia. It's that was true. And the things that I criticize are still things I would criticize. and the, the, petty, the pettiness and the, and the small-mindedness of some, perhaps, managers or leads mm-hmm. just on a power trip. That's universal. It doesn't matter what job you have. If you're trying to have fun and you're not going to hurt anyone, there's a yep. sense of like uh, enjoyment of your work and morale. And if people are sort of soul-crushing and they just want to be sticklers for the rules mm-hmm. and you got a point for that, and it's, oh, really? Is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny because they make this magic and entertainment happen by being restrictive to the people that are working there, and it's yeah. it's an irony. It's a it's a, a contradiction in the way that things work. So I want to just I, I we're getting short on time because I want to make sure this is a, one single compact episode that I don't have to split. I want to have this one singular thing. Sure. So the two things I want to start there. One is we always like to hear. Like if there's a singular story, whether it be a celebrity story, those are always amazingly fun, yeah. or just something that um, that has stuck with you. Maybe not that's not part of the show, but just mm. something that is uh, that is something that you would like to just have out there. I mean, is there is there a moment that you had as a as a cast member that that had a real meaning to you like that? Well, honestly, 
Um, I'm sure you've mined it all for the show, but you know. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I was there for four years, and I'm working on the book. So there are a lot of elements that I just couldn't fit into the show. I didn't feel I could do well enough to portray uh, mm-hmm. every night. So there's a lot of, lot of war stories, as I'm sure you can imagine. But I would say um, meeting the terminally ill children uh, and being there for them and the fact that they saw the magic and they didn't see behind the scenes. They didn't see how horrible the corporation mm-hmm. could be or there are other aspects of it. Um, and then finding out, you know, that kid didn't make it mm-hmm. and that we were there for them at the time and they really enjoyed their time. Yep. And then we would get letters from their family saying, oh, you know, Mad Hatter or, you know, if you were the Pluto. And you'd sort of go, well, who was Pluto that day? Who was Pluto A on Main Street on X day? Oh, my God, that was me, you know. And having those moments of just, like, uh, revelation and sort of paying it back. I had wonderful experiences as, as a kid going to the park um, and having those Disney magical moments, not being cynical about it, but actually, you know, it's true. Those, those really heartfelt moments, um, there were so many. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what I talk about in the show are the high points and the low points. Mm-hmm. Um, but on any given day, if management was allowing us to just play, there were some great highs and some moments where it was just like, yeah, it was me, young uh, and naive, experiencing the world for the first time. And being there at the time, I look back on it, and it was magical. Um, I don't know what it's like now. Uh, If you're in the department and you want to come see the show, hit me up. I'd be happy to even give some comps. But uh, there's an element of it that uh, I suspect is probably as true now Mm -hmm. as it ever was, that there there are people there that are there for all the right reasons. Yep. So let's uh, the last two minutes. Yeah, G- give us all the information on the show. Uh, you know, let give give it your two minute sales pitch. Let's get some people up here to come see you. Okay, so if you go to workingforthemouse.com, there's a link to our show here. Uh, we'll be taking it back up to San Jose and to San Francisco in June. And we have we have listeners, plenty of listeners on the north north uh, side of the state as well. Oh yes, it's it's on the interweb, so it's it all is. over the planet, it's everywhere. We have uh, we have a, a listener in Guam. Because I, I know that because it's a, the, my download count is exactly the number of episodes we put out, so they've downloaded the entire catalog. Wow! Strangely enough, we have uh, some in Canada, but um, uh, we have a, a bunch of people from Russia that listen. Really? Uh, my Russia. It's like four or five thousand downloads out of Russia in the last like you know year. It's very strange. Huh. Um, I don't know whether they're just stealing our content. <laughs> I don't know. But, okay, so uh, workingforthemouse.com. Workingforthemouse.com. The show is both what you think it is and not what you think it is. And if you hate Disney, come see the show. If you love Disney, come see the show. There are elements of it that will speak to both, you know, the kid in everyone and the people who are the most hardcore cynics. There's a punk attitude there towards... Perhaps uh, the evil version of the corporation mm-hmm. that maybe it was at one point in its uh, <clears throat> incarnation back in the sure. late 80s. Um, and it's fun. And I say that advisedly, you know, 
I don't know how many times I've made people laugh here, but I haven't used much material from the show. I want that to be a surprise. Yep. Good. Trevor, uh, a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to coming up this week and seeing the show. Let's hopefully we'll see a lot of uh, our listeners in the seats when I come up, and uh, we'll have a good uh, sold-out sold out run for you so you can come back down to L.A. and uh, hopefully Anaheim and do it again. Well, thank you so much for the interview. Always a pleasure. And uh, to all of our listeners who are out there, uh, I'm sure you've heard the front-end show notes for this. Uh, lots of exciting stuff on our Facebook page facebook.com slash jungle cruise c-r-e-w-s and as always i wish you all a happy and hearty kungaloosh and we'll see you next time